Let's Talk a Dental Life Coach webinar series. I'm your host, Chelsea Myers, and really this is my favorite part of my week, getting to um, chat with really interesting, brilliant, fantastic people, and today is no exception. Um, I'm joined here with Emmett Scott, who I've known for a really long time, and actually um, my admiration and respect for Emmett goes beyond his professional world. I think um, Emmett is just an incredible human being. I love the way that he prioritizes his family, who he is in the community. But beyond that is um, a co-founder of Community Dental Partners, a partner in the DEO, president of ADSO. He has a podcast, DEO, uh, DEO Secrets, DSO Secrets. DSO Secrets, yeah. DSO Secrets, and also wrote an incredible book by the same name. You should, if you haven't read it, you should definitely check it out. Emmett, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Great to be here. I would say, and you can tell me if you feel differently, but my perspective is that we are still in a recovery mode. We're not over the pandemic um, personally. We're not over it professionally. And that has impacted a lot of things. But as we're trying to come out of that and regroup and run into a new year, what's the residual impact of that? And how is that impacting us as we go into this recession? So I think you have to divide the pandemic into a macroeconomic financial piece and then the mental social uh, evolution that happens so quickly. And then maybe you could say this third piece, which is the actual physical impact that it's still having in the marketplace. So mm-hmm. let me start with the one that everyone kind of focuses on first, which is the physical uh, impact. People are still getting sick. I just saw, you know, CDC going, well, you know, since we um, had everyone stay at home, we really weren't sharing disease anymore. So that's why we're all sharing disease now. And it's like, wow, within 12 months, you know, 24 months, um, we missed some herd immunity, if you will, on other things. And you can even tell in my sinus and everything else, right? So we've got, <laughs> we've got now these colds and everything else. What does that really translate down to? It translates in the workplace. We're having to manage that on a consistent basis. It's going on uh, almost 36 months here soon. So it's, that is like this disruption of workflow on top of the fact that most of our team members, or at least half of them are brand new. And so we've had to figure out how to do training. I, I loved an article, it was probably like six months ago or so, Delta Airlines was like, we've been able to hire 10,000 people, right? And they were thrilled. And then the next line was like, now we have to train 10,000 people. <laughs> you know? Right. It's like it's 10,000 people who have no clue how to do their job. And though our numbers are always much smaller than that, Uh, the reality is the impact feels very similar. So you've got this turnover rate, whether it's people moving jobs and it creates inefficiency in the marketplace. It creates inefficiency um, for us. The other component that you have is the uh, mental health and the emotional evolution, which I have never seen. I've I've been an entrepreneur uh, for 25 years now. I've only seen this from a technology perspective. So microchips do this all the time where, and I'll give an example everyone can quickly understand is on your iPhone, you had this really cool thing where you could put your thumb on it and um, it would open up your iPhone and you didn't have to type in a code or anything. And overnight they had facial recognition 
and everyone who got that like got really irritated by the phone the next day like uh, by their ipad <laughs> had the button you know yeah it was like my phone has facial recognition why doesn't my ipad you know why haven't they done that yet right it's like this is such a pain you know um so with technology we see those evolutions happen very quickly during the pandemic we saw a movement a, a social movement where all of us um really said where do i want my work-life balance to be and when you do that on mass scale it's it might be socially very appropriate and maybe even someone could say spiritually very appropriate mm -hmm. to start saying where should my family be in my life you know where should my self-care be like people were assessing this in mass it's very disruptive to a capitalist system that was dependent upon the social paradigms we were already working on so if if we were workaholics before and then all of a sudden we all decide not to be that might be really good for us it's really hard on business owners <laughs> right because now we all want shift work and i want three days a week and you know these kind of things again maybe very appropriate and we can talk about this in dental we've had an evolution socially where now 55 percent of dental graduates are women um and women in the dent as dentists as a whole are about 80 percent productive as men right and the reason i would I'm, I'm going to assume we can look at the data is that they're juggling a lot more than most men are right so their ability to focus around this is my only career and this is the only thing i have going on isn't true so nothing wrong with that they want shift work they want to work three days but we don't have systems around that dentists don't know how to hand off a patient to one another we we haven't had the years of experience where a nurse you know writes on the whiteboard i'm your nurse till seven o'clock <laughs> and the next nurse comes in and they have these really cool systems on the back we don't have anything like that right so all of this is happening not over a 10-year period of time over like a 10 month period of time. So you've got this turnover rate, you've got this social evolution that's happening very quickly. And then on top of it, and this is the one that gets ignored primarily on purpose by the government, is that the government has been pounding in massive amount of dollars. And what most people don't know, unless you're studying monetary policy, is that when we had the housing crisis, one of the things the government started doing was printing more money to help create a boom and get us out of that. It's one way to get you out of a depressionary environment is you print more money. Now you always have to be careful because you can get into inflation. Um, in 2019, we were at that tipping point, you know, so Trump's going to take a lot of credit. We're at this unemployment rate of like 3.7%, which by the way, if you're below 6%, 6% is the, is the expected number that everybody who wants to work is working. Okay. If you're below that, you basically are inducing people who really don't want to work. They're like, well, if you're going to pay me that much, I guess I will, <laughs> you know? So, so that's where we were in 2019 and they were starting to slow down. They were going to raise interest rates and start to slow down because they felt inflation starting to kick in. Now, it wasn't a big headline. No one really cared at the time because they were going to able to control this over a, a slow period of time and so forth. Maybe we would have seen it, but something else happened, which was the pandemic. 
they literally doubled down on the monetary policy and put in twice as much as they put in from that 2010 to 2019 within 12 months they pounded that into the economy so we were already getting ready to go in an inflationary environment we pound in twice as many dollars to make sure no one feels the pandemic what you really do when you pound in more money is you you tax the people indirectly through inflationary costs so if i went to you chelsea and said hey in order for us all to manage this pandemic i'm going to need to take 20 percent out of your bank account um, you would say, heck no, <laughs> you know, like everyone needs to figure this out, but you're not taking my money out of my bank account. If I instead say, I'm going to send you $1,200 and I'm just going to send that to everybody. What I can actually do is, is create a tax by sending everybody money and I can decrease the value of your savings account by 20%. Okay. Without ever taking... So, you know, if you think about tax, I've got two levers to pull. I can take money from you so you have less to spend on goods and services, or I can increase the price of goods and services. All right. And what happened was they gave everybody money and everyone's like, oh, this is awesome. We went and spent it. Um, savings accounts, by the way, hit all time highs, $4 trillion in savings accounts. We're like, we are doing fabulous. By the beginning of this year, we were at one trillion. By the um, by June, I'm sorry, of 2022, we were one trillion. By June, we were at 600 billion. So we knew how to spend, <laughs> and now we're running out of money and we don't have it. But cost of goods have all gone up. Along those lines, we all look to our employers and say, "I know what the problem is. You need to pay me more money." So employers go okay, fine. I've got all this turnover. We'll go back to the mental health piece. We'll go back to the sick piece. It's like, yes, I need these employees. I will uh, pay for that. I've got unemployment rate at 3%. And so now we're paying everybody more. We're increasing costs in goods and services for everyone, trying to get this balanced out. And over here, by the way, is dental that cannot move the price of goods up. So what's happening is we're seeing this crunch on margin. Now I say, can't move it up. Two reasons you couldn't move it up. One, if you're taking PPO, Medicaid, trying to pull those insurance levers, the insurance companies are absolutely charging more premium to people. They're not necessarily paying that to providers. So, you know, Home Depot gave my son three raises of a dollar, like over a six month period. They gave the whole company, by the way. He didn't deserve it. He wasn't doing anything special, but they can just go over and change the price of wood and pay everybody more, right? I can't do that, but I still have to compete. So what's happening in dental right now is you're not able to move price up, but you're having to move compensation up. Um, and you know, no one's saying, well, Emmett, there's so many hygienists out there. I've got my pick, so I don't have to pay them more. No, no, no. We're, we're saying, yes, we have to pay, but I can't charge the customer anymore because I've got this insurance ceiling. Now, maybe, and this might bring us to the topic of 2023, maybe you're a specialist. Um, they've been able to move price up. You know, if you're doing all in fours, you've been doing some endo, et cetera. And you'll notice that the specialists have been able to kind of keep moving more than the general dentists. And this is part of that reason is they've got a more of a fee for service model. 
But when you start running to a second constraint, which is recession, that bank account that's been falling over here, now you're going to have a new ceiling, which is, do I want to spend the money on that or food? Do I want to spend the money on that or go to the movies? Like before I didn't, I just bought food and went to the movies and got my endo work done. <laughs> you know, I could just do it all. Um, now I'm, the consumer is starting to have to make budget decisions. I mean, just ask your friends, look at yourself. You know, you're starting to be a little more conscientious um, about that. And I think this is important for us as entrepreneurs because bull markets, we think we're really smart when really monetary policy is just throwing a bunch of money into consumers' hands and they're making our marketing look like it's brilliant and they're making our sales look like we're brilliant and our operations can be inefficient. And when a, a bear market starts to happen, when monetary policy starts to tighten, and you can do this by increasing the interest rate, which you basically do by decreasing the amount of money you're printing um, in the marketplace. As soon as that happens, we all look like we're idiots. So what's fascinating, and, and Elon Musk is a great like bellwether to watch. Watch what he looked like right in 2020, 2021, and he's up on this pedestal. You know, you always have your haters, but for the most part, people are like the most brilliant man, right? And now all of a sudden, he's the biggest idiot, right? He bought Twitter. He should have never done that. And he did this and he should have never done that. And he's not focused on, and Tesla stocks dropping like crazy. It looks like, you know, he went from really smart to really stupid. And I think a lot of dentists and dentist owners and CEOs feel the same way right now. But what you really have is a much bigger play. Like Facebook got stupid, Apple got stupid, Google got like, if you look at their stock price, they all got stupid all of a sudden. What really happens is as entrepreneurs, we definitely have a role in the marketplace, but this monetary policy is also, um, is also working for or against us right now. So anyway, that's a, that's a long piece of what I've seen happen. And, and it all happened in 24 months. Right. Like that should be like a history lesson of a hundred year cycle within, you know, or at least a 10 year decade cycle. But it was like 24, 18 months of time period. By the way, you'll also have to manage some kind of lockdown and total shutdown of industry and then revamping back up and all this training and everything else. So those three elements, if entrepreneurs are feeling exhausted, and this is really right up your area, Chelsea, um, with all of the, the life coaching, there's a good reason. Like this is, you know, unprecedented on, on what entrepreneurs are having to manage. Um, you know, in some ways, the actual COVID lockdown was easier to manage than the post-COVID revamp. Because we were all kind of like, yep, this is an emergency and it's terrible. And how do we all kind of work together and have misery together? <laughs> and post it, it was like, okay, well, everything's good. You know, get back to work. And it hasn't been like that at all. It, it really just been a stacking of issues, one on top of another. And now this inflationary piece is coming in and we're about to walk into a recessionary piece on, on top of that. So there's my cheery Friday afternoon <laughs> <laughs> pep talk.
<laughs> yeah, this feels great. No, you know, what's detrimentally brilliant about the history that you present is that we make decisions based on our emotions. We have experience that we attach emotions to. That's how we experience them. That's how we remember them. That's how we refer back to them and use them as our reference points going into future experiences. And so in the moment, like you mentioned, we start you know, printing more money and handing out distributions to people. And we think that that's great. And then we all, you know, um, experience the consequences of that. And all of a sudden there are all of these leaders that are now idiots. And so we have these counterfeit connections where we're angry at the people that are supposed to be making good decisions, making what we decide are stupid decisions. And ultimately it doesn't lead to any more peace or comfort interpersonally or any more cohesiveness in the environments that we're trying to weather these changes and these storms. That's such a great point. The, you know, and I saw this, I was in, in Vegas, um, living there and, and was consulting when the housing market collapsed and you went to 25% unemployment in that area. And to your point, it was fascinating to watch the amount of divorces, Mm -hmm. the amount of partnerships that fell apart, right? Those relationships that maybe had some fragility to them um, had now this new pressure test on top of it. And, and there's, a, there's a character development piece that goes along with this, which is, is your reactionary component to step back and to look at the factual pieces of the environment? Or is it to finger point, look for blame, you know, and kind of uh, recluse into a place of like, man, I wish we could be back in that place where the government gave us a bunch of money and we had the wind at our back, you know, and pretended like that that never had any consequences, et cetera. Um, I think that, you know, I even see this amongst the business owners and entrepreneurs who are supposed to be the leaders when I hear things like, you know, employees are just more lazy, et cetera. Individuals can be lazy. Entire generations are, <laughs> are not, you know. Entire generations are uh, very smart, actually, in reflecting back what their external environment is telling them. And I think what the external environment has been telling the younger generation is you've got to prepare mentally to be able to manage a lot of emotional chaos. Mm -hmm. And our, our brains just aren't wired to know play by play what's happening in a Ukraine Russian war. Like they're just not built, which, you know, this probably goes into some of the things you teach some of your clients around. You've got to disconnect in very strategic areas to protect your amygdala to make sure that you are not in fight or flight. Because if you're constantly looking at things that you have no control over, the things you have control over, you will respond very poorly, right? Because you're just so mentally and emotionally exhausted, so full of cortisol that any executive function that would really be, you know, good character oriented response is exhausted. Your willpower is exhausted because you were way too much on social media and news, which frankly, news is built to stimulate your amygdala so you'll buy advertisement, right? So right. it's supposed to get you in fight or flight. So you think, man, life is really hard. I think this shampoo will make life better, you know? Um, so 
I, I think one of the things that I've gotten very intense on, you have to respond accordingly, is protecting uh, my mental health and my brain and knowing how many things and people uh, are after it. You know, so I, I deleted news apps. I, you know, minimalized my social media um, interaction, not because I think they're evil, but I don't think that I could emotionally manage that along with all these other factors if I'm going to be a leader. Absolutely. And you know, that, that is how, it's just how we're wired. So our brain is naturally wired for survival. And so anything negative, anything threatening, anything different is going to stand out. And then what ends up happening is we get into these patterns. You talked about, you know, amygdala hijacking basically, but we get into these patterns where we're used to feeling fear and anxiety and frustration. And it gets to the point where our body responds, all of a sudden we're in anxiety and we don't even know why because it didn't have to go through that conscious process of, oh, there's the person that usually does the thing that causes chaos that we have to solve. You just see the person and all of a sudden you're in some state of anxiety thinking that that's what's coming next. And so when you add on to that world events or things that are completely out of your realm of influence, it really does distract from your ability to be strategic in the way that you think in the way that you present, in the way that we're communicating with our team. And they pick up on that. You don't have to say anything, but if you're in that hijack mode and you're running, you know, on excess amounts of cortisol, they're picking up on it. They don't know what it is. In fact, they're probably interpreting their wrong version of what it is, internalizing that. And it definitely filters through your organization. That's an excellent point. Yeah, 100%. And one of the things that um, I realized, so I had already disconnected from news way before COVID and so forth. COVID required me to reconnect. And the reason is because I needed to know which counties were shut down. Like I needed it for strategic purposes. Right. What was the new uh, rules, regs coming down? You know, so once I reconnected in, I was hijacked right now. I needed to for a period of time, but it took a lot of work to disconnect again, to know that I could and, um, and to get my mental health back to a place where I could be in that, in that place of leadership and know that, you know, cause one of the things I realized back when I disconnected before COVID people would always say, wait, you didn't hear about X, Y, and Z, you know? And I'd always be like, well, I have now, like, I didn't even have to do anything. You told me it was perfect. It worked out great. You know? Um, you did all this research, you've had the, you know, sleepless nights, et cetera. I got the three second summary, um, of the ending of the story and it, it works out perfect. But once COVID happened, then I felt like I needed to be back in it and I could just feel, um, my capabilities dropping off, uh, from a leadership perspective and a health perspective. And so, yeah, one thing I would encourage people to do is, um, you know, disconnect from those things be really smart about because what happens Chelsea too is your body physically gets addicted right. right so that's why you get these morning anxiety hits because the body will be like oh Emmett you're awake okay do you want to worry about that <laughs> no okay what about this no what about this yes okay yeah let's think about that and that'll get you going for this morning and then you know who needs like a cup of coffee or some pre-workout? Like I can just worry about something and boom, I'm off to the mm -hmm. races. So getting out of that addictive cycle, um, super important. 
you know, which for me, what I had to do, the, the only way I finally broke it was journaling, which I've never been into, by the way. So I don't want to give like, I'm this big journaler, but now I, I can't live without it. Um, and my journaling's 100% therapeutic. I get up in the morning and I write down everything that I feel anxiety around. And basically it's destroyed my brain's ability to hold on to anything, you know, because it's documented and the brain's like, oh, dang it. He already wrote it down. It's actually not that big of a deal. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. That is so great. I call that a brain drain. I teach that to my clients as well. And it is so powerful. Usually when I'm looking at, you know, my stressors or all the things that I think are important at that moment, um, sometimes just by writing them down, they're alleviated. And then other times I can figure out the four or five things that actually do need to be plugged into my calendar or solved for at some point, but it creates a strategy around what's real and dismisses the things that just aren't. I love that you're doing that. That's, I can't. Well, and you can do virtual role plays with it, which is really cool. So that was one thing that started to come out was, okay, I'm, you know, it's been three days. I keep writing down that I'm anxious about this and how's this going to play out? Well, why don't I just pretend like I know? And why don't I write down, here's what I ideally would like to, for it to do. Here's how I'd like to respond. Here's like how I'd want them to show up. If they showed up this way, here's how I'd still want to respond. You start doing that and it's crazy. It's like you're a fortune teller, like you write it out and it starts playing out that way, right? Because uh -huh. you're showing up so specifically to like how you program the brain. So once I started doing that, then, then the anxiety started going away. And then I'm like, what am I going to write about? I actually don't feel any, <laughs> which was crazy. So then I started doing gratitude. I'm like, oh, this is gratitude journaling that everyone talks about, you know, but I had to untangle uh, to get to that, to that point. And then that kind of drove me into a lot of Ryan Holiday stuff, which if you follow him on Instagram, he's big stoicism, mm -hmm. um, which is all character development stuff. But great books like obstacle is the way um discipline and destiny just some great stuff on character development which gave my me a place to like stop focusing on everybody else and macroeconomics and just focus on your personal development okay and so how does that then in your opinion when you take the time to really self-focus become more aware figure out what your gaps are between where you're at and where you want to be how does that translate into the work environment the most difficult um thinking that we do and we take for granted is the definition of terminology you know i'll, I'll give an example if i say hey chelsea i'd really like you to train this person we say that stuff all the time what is what does training mean i mean most of the time what we're saying is like mentor them based on your intuition we don't have like a training you know it's not like our 10 steps and then you're going to quiz them and so forth defining terms so that we're really communicating and for me the term that gets thrown around the most amongst entrepreneurs that's so poorly defined is i just really want to be successful mm -hmm. and it's like well you get to define what that means so what does that mean and too often we pretend like it's inherent to the situation well obviously it's selling my practices for 12 <laughs> times you know right what obvious to who and under what circumstances and 
what's the investment you're willing to make in time, energy, and relationship in order to have that? Is So you're saying no matter what the sacrifice, your children, your family, your relationship, 12 times is 100% how you're defining all your... Well, no, of course that's not... Okay, well then what is it, right? So those kind of activities, I think, um, become critical. It's a lot, again, when you have a frothy market and government's putting a lot of money in and so forth, we take a lot of things for granted because we're able to say, there's no opportunity cost anymore. It's like, I want this, this, and this, and I'm going to take all three of them. The reality is there always was opportunity cost, but it becomes more transparent in down markets where it's like, if you want to spend on this, if you want your time here, then you're saying no to these things. So I think a lot of work that all of us have to do is how do I want to define success? And the best, most ideal is what's the character I want to become, you know? It's the, it's the only thing ultimately that you have 100% control over because if anything out of this webinar podcast you should take away is you're not controlling the macroeconomic outcomes of your business as much as you think you are. You're not quite as brilliant as you think and you're not quite as stupid <laughs> as you think, <laughs> you know? Um, there are forces working with you and against you. And being ADSO president, being DEO partners, so forth, there's definitely things you can do as a good leader and bad leader to help navigate this. But I've seen the data enough, talked to CEOs enough, man, I had such a bad month. I had a bad month. I had a bad month. I had a bad, wait, why did everybody have a bad month? How is that possible? <laughs> like we're all in different markets. You know, there's other for, I had the best month ever. I think it was this month. Well, I had the best month. Wait, did we all just get brilliant all of a sudden? You know, like what's happening there? So I think when you start to realize how little you control, you start to ask yourself, well, then what do I have control over that's really meaningful and that I could tie success to? And the answer I keep coming back to, and I'm, I'm still working on, is a, a personal development of character. Yeah, and I remember and I, you going into that in your book, talking about the importance of defining success. And I think that part of that, just going back to the way that we're wired, thinking from the negative perspective, is I think we're taught and raised in just as a society, we talk in terms of what's not. So, um, for example, you know, train this person on to communicating effectively. Well, what exactly are they doing right now? Well, they're not doing X, Y, and Z, or these are the results they're not getting. And so it's having that language around, yes, but let's be clear, what is effective communication? What does that look like in your organization? Or, you know, in your example, what exactly is success? Well, it's not selling my practices for 10 times. It's not losing my marriage in the process of building my business. It's not, yes, but what is it exactly? And so that work is just so important. And I don't think it's just something that we need to do as leaders of companies. I think everybody in the organization needs access to these tools because in reality, we all need to be leaders and you never know exactly who each other's looking to as their leader. It's probably their boss and it's other people within the organization as well. And so this content's so important and this work becomes so important to the way that we just interact with each other on a daily basis. You know, when yeah. I'm talking to people about um, 
their perspective of their experience at work, it has so much to do with those daily interactions and how they feel when they get up. Yes, there are external factors, world events, the economy. However, somewhere in that morning process comes, what is my day going to look like? Who am I going to interact with? And what's that going to be like for me? Do I even want to do that? Yeah. And, and I think along with that, not is we, we define success by a reduction in personal suffering and challenges <laughs> and obstacles, right? So once I don't have this as an obstacle, then I'll be happy. Once this is, right. and the, you know, the really scary reality is number one, the obstacles don't go away. And in fact, if you're doing things right, they get bigger. And number two is you actually don't want them to because then your progress would completely stop. Your personal development would stop. Mm -hmm. um, what the obstacles really are, are the sparring partner for your character development, right? And one of the cool tricks I learned in leadership as I was going about and just 100% irritated by certain team members is that I realized that the team members I was most irritated by were the ones that were exposing the edges of my leadership capability. So if I've got young children in the beginning, I'm totally baffled by their behavior, but over time I kind of get it like, and you know, by the third kid, I'm lazy and I, you know, and I've got some kids. So at this point, you know, they're out yeah. eating dirt and whatever. They're right. fine. Um, and then the same thing happens once you hit teenage. It's like, okay, this is really irritating. And then over time, if if you're developing as a parent and as leader, then you get to the point where you're like, yeah, they did something stupid. I, I'm kind of used to this. Like I, I know how to respond and I've got to set these boundaries, et cetera. The same thing happens as, um, as a business owner. So if you look at the people that you're most irritated by and those that you aren't, well, the reason you aren't with, with certain people is because you know how to behave with their idiosyncrasies, mm -hmm. right? It, it, when they do this and, and maybe they have, um, ones that more align with your idiosyncrasies, So you're more empathetic towards them as well. But those on the edges where they're creating suffering for you, those are the ones that are actually saying you don't, for example, you might hate confrontation and they are forcing you to be a clear communicator and direct in how you want something to proceed, but you don't want to be that person. You want to be able to be like, talking nuances, et cetera, and then hope everyone picks up on it. And, you know, you've surrounded yourself with enough people that kind of do that, that you're good. But as soon as you want to expand and grow, you're going to pick up people who are like, no, I, I need you to be very specific with me. Right. So those kind of development things like, well, I hate confrontation, Emmett. And I'm like, I, I get it. But like, you're also telling me where the edge of your leadership is. Yeah. You know, and I heard a talk once and the speaker gave an awesome suggestion, which I had the courage to do once. If my husband's watching this, he'll probably raise his head and be like, hey, yeah, do that again. But it was go to your spouse or go to someone that you work closely with and ask them, what is it like to be in a relationship with me? Or what mm. is it like to be a partner with me in this business? Oh, that's powerful. 
And you have to be willing to sit through the response. And so even like, as I'm saying it, I'm feeling like my, my temperature rising. Like, I don't actually think I want to ask that question again, but it's so important. These conversations are so important, but beyond that, the willingness to hear the answer and decide what that means for you is important because like you said, um, when we, when we're surrounded by unfamiliar situations or things that are just uncomfortable to us, actually it could be reframed to be an exciting thing. It's an opportunity and opportunities should always feel more like giving than getting right. You should be Mm -hmm. developing yourself and moving towards something and growing. And that actually is where all of the, all of the beauty and all of the things you want to feel and all of the things we're actually really after with that wealth and that success and that fame, all those things are leading to, um, internal work feelings that can really only come from that work that we do inside. What, what's fascinating is you're starting to define success as, as you see it, right? So as, and, and I would agree with it, um, as you start defining success that way, the multiple of your business becomes less important, right? So it's fascinating how you start redefining some things. Um, it, by the way, this was the first year I did this, but I like yours better is I did my new year resolution type stuff. And I said, Hey, sweetheart, um, I left two openings. So tell me what my goals are from your perspective. Oh, that's <laughs> neat. Two, two things that you would love for me to focus on as a goal to be better at, right? Because your spouse is like the best sparring partner ever to give right. you, um, you know, challenges to work on. And I get like 12 months to work on them. They're probably 20 year goals, but I get at least 12 months um, to work on them. So anyway, it's good stuff. It really is. And let me say like, this is the the, part of the reason we're talking about this. If it sounds too personal development oriented and you're like, yeah, but at the end of the day, like I just want my business to be successful. It's the same thing. Um, because if you're over overwhelmed by what we're about to walk into, your business is going to fall apart. It's a big caricature of you and your capabilities. That's what your business is. You know, right. those drawings that you get at Disneyland where your head's really big and your body's really small and it emphasizes your eyes and your nose. And so that's exactly what your business is. It's a big caricature of how you behave and what you do. And, um, if you don't get yourself centered and right, your business, you know, will follow. So. Right. And, you know, I, one of the talks that I'll be doing the most this year is centered around building and sustaining environments of trust. And the only way you can actually do that, give anything to anyone is if you first have it yourself. And I'm not suggesting that we're not trustworthy people. I'm suggesting we need to know ourselves better to have access to something that is more powerful than what we're currently leading with. Um, And Mm -hmm. a lot of that is rebounding after setbacks. And then a lot of that is the way that we um, take care of ourselves so that we can then understand and be able to take care of other people better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And starting to do some shadow work around where we're terrible and what our losing strategies that we implement are, you know, Um, I did, I did coaching with a group, uh, zero to dangerous was the program. And one of the things they had us do is to list out the behavior we hated in team members. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. And, and then you could steal this, by the way, it's a co cool exercise. And then um, write down the micro behaviors we do and micro communications we do that encourage that behavior. Mm. And the idea was people are actually just responding to what you're willing to tolerate. And um, so if you're like, I hate it that they always do that, you know, that they're always late to meetings. It's like, well, how well do you tolerate and how well does people know that you don't want people late to meetings, you know, whatever it might be. Right. Like in other words, we train people how to treat us or how to act in our organizations, whether we like it or not, we are contributing to that perpetual yes. cycle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is where like personal development that you're talking about becomes this domino effect to start reducing the noise all around us. Cause really everything that's happening in our life, um, is, is a sum total of what we're willing to tolerate. Mm -hmm. Right. So as we kind of close in that box and say, this is all I'm like, they've done studies on people who are really good at stress management. And the fascinating part is they found out they're really terrible at stress management. <laughs> um, the, the reason that they look like they're so good is because they set such great boundaries around what they're, and they limit the amount of stress that they will tolerate in their life. And so people look at them and go, wow, he's just never stressful. She's just always present. Well, really, they just are super self-aware of like, and they say no to a thousand things, you know, because everything you say no to, um, you're saying yes to something else and everything you're saying yes to. Th that's another activity that I've been doing recently is before I say yes, I write down, if I say yes, what is everything I'm saying no to? It's painful, by the way. Yeah, that's <laughs> really, I'm, really good. Yeah. You have to write down things like I'm saying no to going to my son's basketball game. <laughs> you know? Right. Right. No, you You're know, like, it's so interesting because we're, we're so quick to like change the, change the song. If we don't like the song that's on the radio, cause we don't like the way that's going to feel. We don't want to listen to it for a minute, but we're very tolerant of listening to somebody's, you know, gossip in the workplace is a huge topic that we coach on. Uh, we're so tolerant of other people's negative perspectives on things or um, saying yes to the things that we know are just going to, you know, bring us down or cause a cost that we don't want to pay. And so it's really interesting. If we'll just think of it more like, you know, just change the station. Change, or well, like you said before, put a boundary on how much of this I'm going to put in my brain and the rest of my thought space is going to be used intentionally for something that I want to create in my life or I want more of in my life. Yeah, I'm 100% dopamine addict. So for me, new opportunities <laughs> um, will get me a dopamine hit. And so this is kind of my like AA uh, journaling is before I say yes to something uh, to write down what I'm going to, what it's going to say no to. Yeah. So, you know, let's be doing this, right? Okay. I'm on here. This is awesome. Love it. So what am I saying no to? Right. Mm -hmm. Well, if it was on a Saturday. I'd probably be saying no to more things than a Friday afternoon, but being really conscious about those kind of things starts to create, um, an ROI calculation, an opportunity cost calculation to use accounting terms where I say everything I say yes to. And, and this is again, I think some work we all need to start doing 
as we get into uh, recessionary environments is if I say yes to that software implementation, what am I saying no to in my team's training and standardization? If I say yes to adding a specialty, what am I saying no to in the ability for my team to be focused? You know, what is all of the ramifications of saying yes? Because most of the time as entrepreneurs, we see the opportunities better than others. We see the investment and the cost worse than others. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's always the argument is uh, the other team members are like, yeah, but we're going to have to change this. And we just hear it as whining. But really, they're telling you all the obstacles and investment you're going to make into that to get that return. If we can be a little bit, you know, smarter about those things, we'll make better investment decisions, especially going into this new market. Yeah, investment and timing, because one of the conversations I was having recently, um, there are a number of changes that have been decided as needed. Okay, that's that's in place. However, um, the team is expressing their um through their feedback and through their inquiries it's becoming apparent that the uh the rollout for these changes needs to be adjusted otherwise we're going to have people that are overwhelmed burned out and taking on more than they're comfortable taking on and so that those are both really important components both the investment and the timing component and getting that feedback and determining is this just unnecessary um stress and worry about people not wanting to change or is this a real indicator of the way we're going to impact our culture if we're not careful here. So yeah, that's, that's a really good way to close this out. Emmett, this has been really, really great. I love your feedback. I could talk to you about this stuff all day. Um, good stuff. but luckily we can hear a lot more and a lot of good stuff. You've got ADSO, um, conference coming up summit conference. What do we title it? Yeah. Summit. Yeah. In March, that'll be March awesome. Orlando. Yeah. Yes. And um, DEO, we just changed the Facebook page from DSO Secrets to uh, DEO Growth. So come check that out. Lots of people having these kind of conversations as well as tactical ones around growing their dental businesses there in the DEO Facebook page. So anyway, lots of great resources out there. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thanks, Emmett. You have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm. See y'all later. Bye.